Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks, howdy, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. In this episode, I want to talk about a concept that I, I wrote about in a blog article back a few years ago. And I want to flesh it out in a little more depth. And the article was called, A Table Needs At Least Three Legs. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been to Walmart or the grocery store, you you will pull out a grocery cart and a shopping cart and begin to push it. And you'll notice that it's steering to the left and one of the front wheels is spinning around and around and around and it's like really jiggly. And you you put it back and get another one. The next one is just as bad. The next one, it's riding on three wheels instead of all four. And I, I maybe I'm maybe they do this intentionally, but every time I look at one of those grocery carts with two wheels in the front and two wheels in the back, I think my God, are these people stupid or are they just deliberately making our life as miserable as possible? Because if you just made it a three-wheel cart, it would roll a lot better. And, you know, some genius lawyer probably told them, well, you need four wheels so that the carts don't tip over. You might accidentally injure someone if a cart tipped over. And, and I will admit that a three-legged cart depending on how you designed it, could possibly tip over a little easier. If, let's say you had one wheel in the front and two in the back, and then your five-year-old kid climbs up on the right front fender to to climb in or something. You know, it would tend to tip that way, but that's pretty easy. You just put little, little um, extra wheels on those two front corners that don't touch down. They only touch down if the cart tips, you know, little anti-tip wheels, but your main steering wheel, let it be a castering freewheel dead center right in the front. I mean, I'm just telling you, it shouldn't be that hard to devise a cart, a grocery cart that will roll nicely. But I've, I've noticed another thing uh, when you go to Walmart, where you pull the carts out, they have all this bumpy tile at least the ones that I've taken notice in. So you pull the cart out and the first little section you drive over is all bumpy and crazy because they have this weird tile there. And I've, I've sometimes wondered, maybe they put that tile there so that you can't tell that you got a bum cart until you get a little farther away. And then you'll just say, Oh, what the heck? I don't feel like going back and putting it back. Anyway, food for thought. I could probably start a, a a grocery cart company if I had some investors who would step up, and we'll fix this problem. Uh, I got thinking about this last night. I, I went to a jam session last night. As I've mentioned in some previous podcasts, I have gone back to school and am learning to play a new instrument. And back, I guess it's now about three years ago, two and a half that I decided I would play the dobro. I would try the dobro. And I, I've mentioned that before. So here I am, having played for 40 years. And just a couple of years ago, I picked up a new instrument and tried to learn it from square one. Now, 
I will admit that I, I have some advantages in that I have a lot of experience in playing other instruments. And so I can apply that to the new thing, you know. But anyway, there's a little jam session at Pat's Place. It's a pizza place down here in America's Georgia. It's not really a jam session. It's Pat has a little group that plays in there on Tuesday nights. And I managed to weasel my way into that thing. Um, basically asking Pat, say, hey, Pat, I'm learning the dobro. Do you mind if I sit in with you? And I did it a couple times, and I guess they, they liked it okay. So I sit in at Pat's place. I call them Pat's Bunch. I sit in as many Tuesday nights as I can get away and go down there and, and I play for two hours on the dobro. I also do a bunch of practicing on my own because you can't learn it all just out there in the field, so to speak. But anyway, this podcast is not really about that, but the reason I'm thinking about the three-legged table and the grocery carts is because where I sit, I tend to sit in the same little spot just a regular chair every week. That's my spot. They all have their spot. So where I sit, there's a small round table to my right. And last night, my wife had a school board meeting. And so my son Jackson went with me and I called Pat uh, beforehand. I said, Hey, can you reserve me that little table so that right by the door so that Jackson can sit next to me? That way, you know, I can kind of, you know, if he needs to get up and go to the bathroom or, you know, whatever, he'll be real close to me and it, I'll be able to play and sit with him kind of simultaneously. So the thing I noticed about that table, and I've noticed it before, is that little round, you know, restaurant type, bar type table has a round top and then a a cylinder type post that comes up from the floor and then the base and the base has four legs, you know, like North, South, East, West. And under the tip of each of those is a little foot, a little screw in, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So this table sits there on essentially four legs and it tips, it tips. I mean, it's always rocking, tipping and rocking. You know, maybe just a half inch if you measure it at the edge of the table. But it's enough so that one night um, the bartender brought me a, a, a beer in a frosted mug. And he brought it over there and he sat it on that table. And I, before, I reached over to get it and as I reached for it, it began to just move all by itself across the table. And I'm just... I was kind of watching this and I was reaching for it and it just slid across the table and dumped itself off on the floor and broke and spilled all over the place. Didn't even get a sip out of that beer. But what did it was that wobbly table where he, he set that thing down and that frosted mug with the, the coating of ice crystals on it, I guess, you know, by the pressure of the mug down on that slick table, began to melt that ice on the bottom and it became like an ice skater. Well, I guess the weight of the glass, depending on where he put it, caused the table to tip ever so slightly towards one side. And that, that glass, 
it's too bad. It's a, a waste of a perfectly good Guinness. It just moved across the table and to the floor. And I have tried a number of things, you know, each week when I go there, sometimes I'll fold up napkins and shove it under the, under the one of the feet, try to stop that tipping. It's just the slightest tipping and it drives me crazy. Especially when my son is sitting over there and he's getting antsy and he's, you know, he's starting to put his knees up on the table and, and the table is kind of rocking and rolling a little bit. But my point here is, a three-legged table doesn't do that. You could put a three-legged table, you know, in the middle of a gravel driveway. It might be tilted a little bit, but it'll be nice and stable. Three points of contact make for a very stable base. It's the, the whole idea behind a tripod. But you add a fourth leg, and you're just asking for trouble. And there's so many four-legged tables out there. But anyway, I was thinking about that as I came home last night about that little tippy table and Pat who owns the place, Pat's place. He knows just how to position that table so it doesn't tip. And sometimes he'll come over there and say, well, you just got to turn it like this and it won't tip over. I'm like, Oh, okay. Because Pat's place is like the entrance to Walmart. It has kind of variegated, uh, tile in there. It's kind of textured. So you got to find the sweet spot. But all this thinking reminded me of this article that I wrote back a while ago called A Table Needs Three Legs. And let me kind of tell you something about this. Because I think a three-legged table is really stable, and I want you to be a very stable musician. And I always tell my students, and I'm, I've probably said it in some of my video lessons, and I, I know I've said it in a previous podcast, that it's a lot more fun to play well than to play poorly. You might think that's such a ridiculously simple concept that it, you know, I don't need to state it. But think about the beginning student, somebody who's never experienced what playing well even feels like. They're not able to imagine what that is because they've never done it. All they've ever done is play bad. And they're well aware of what it feels like to play poorly. But but they don't have a concept of how it feels to play easily, how to play well, how to play musically. You know, the things that better musicians are able to do. And, you know, I've always tried with my private lessons and in the video lessons to try to focus on, you know, things that would help someone at least experience playing better then they can make that comparison between what it feels like to play poorly and what it feels like to play. In other words, you try to give them something they can succeed at. Anyway, so when you're learning to play an instrument, if you want to be any, any good at it at all, and I would assume everybody wants to be good, I think there is that psychological barrier where some people just think it's impossible that they can't be good, and that stops them dead in their tracks. I've talked about that in some of the early episodes, but let's assume you want to be good at it. I want you to consider the idea that good musicians are like a three-legged table and they possess three attributes. The three legs of the table are knowledge, ability, and experience. So think about that table. 
There needs to be at least three legs supporting the table or it'll fall over. Go out in the wood shop and build yourself a table and put two legs on it. You know, stand her up and say, look what I made, honey. You might, for a few fraction of a second, get it to balance, but it's eventually going down. You know, a two-legged table just doesn't work. Imagine you only have one leg on your table. And, and that would be a circus act. You've seen those guys spinning plates on the stick. It's kind of like having a one-legged table. It's not very stable. A one-legged table, unless, you know, you jam that leg down into some soft ground, like a stake, that would work. Um, but a one-legged table is not going to be very stable. Now, you can have more than three legs. You can have four legs if they all touch down and don't tip too much. But even if it tips, it's still going to be stable if you have a four-legged table or a five-legged table or a six-legged table. So there are additional legs. The three legs that you need to be a very stable musician is knowledge ability and experience but you could add a fourth leg and a fifth leg and a sixth leg kind of like that grocery cart i was talking about where i said i'm going to have a basically three wheels that are the main drive wheels and then i'm going to add these two little casters on the front corner so in case it tips over a half an inch they touch down those are those additional legs which i'm not really going to talk about in this episode those additional legs you know the first three are knowledge ability, and experience. And I'll, I'll talk about each one of those in a minute. But those little additional legs, little added props that help stabilize the whole thing, they could be things like your social skills. You know, you could have a lot of knowledge, ability, and experience, but re- be a real jerk. You know, but if you have good social skills and you make a lot of connections and you're friendly and things like that. Those are the little additional legs that help prop up the basic three-legged table. Another one might be your reputation. If you have a good reputation, that adds stability to your entire table. I would say also thrift, you know, monetary thrift, time management, punctuality. Man, I've known some good musicians who were not punctual. And had they been added that little fourth leg, would have been great to have in a band. Uh, Friendliness, business skills. Do you have, you know, let's say you have a band. Do you have any business cards in your shirt pocket, just ready to whip out at a moment's notice? That's a very basic little business skill. That is a, an additional leg. It helps out those basic three. Your appearance could be one, you know. Do you look like the part you're, you're selling, you know. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of what I would call adjunct legs to the table. But the basic three legs in terms of um, playing music is our knowledge, ability, and experience. So let's talk about each one of the three legs that I believe make for a very st- 
stable and competent musician, the first one being knowledge. And like all three legs, you can't just have a one-legged table. So knowledge is helpful, but it alone will not carry you. You can read all the books you want to. You can study, you can know everything about music and still not be able to play music. We all know that. So knowledge alone will not make you into a good musician. You can know all the notes, all the scales, the chords, the history, the technical trivia, and even memorize some of the great players' solos. But if you don't have the ability to put that knowledge into practice, it's pretty useless. By itself, it's useless. It's like the one-legged table. You know, so what if you know all that stuff? Can you do any of it? And without experience, that third leg, how will you, let's say you had ability and knowledge, but you don't have any experience. How do you know when to do things? I know quite a few people who possess amazing amounts of knowledge, but can't really do anything with it. Well, they don't do anything with it because they can't. So you might uh, think about this. Um, knowledge is taking into your mind what to play and why you play it. So that's the first leg. Knowledge alone won't get you there, but it helps. Now think about ability. That's the second leg of the table. Ability also is extremely helpful to the stable, well-rounded musician, but ability alone will not make you into a good musician. You might have the ability to play an A major scale in three octaves on your mandolin, let's say, up and down the neck at 175 beats a minute, and you're playing eighth notes in time, so work that out. It's fast, super fast. You know, like the original version of Foggy Mountain Breakdown, or the earliest version I have a copy of, around 140, I don't know, 140 to 150 beats a minute. So let's say 175 beats a minute. And uh, that's ability. I mean, that's pretty amazing ability. But, you know, can you make any music out of that? Maybe, maybe not. Um Here's a really absurd example. You might be able to form chords on your guitar using your toes instead of your fingers. Or as I said in the article, you might be able to maintain a B-wing-like tremolo, B-wing-like tremolo on your mandolin while taking a nap. That's how I put it in the article. But without knowledge and experience... Can you turn those abilities into music? And we might add entertainment. Part of music is entertainment. Communication. You know, have just purely mechanical skills and abilities, physical abilities, alone is not enough. It is important. Because without ability, you have a two-legged table. So... To me, ability is 
how to play. Knowledge is what to play. And perhaps why. Ability is how to play. Not information about how to play, but really being able to play, you might say. Well, ability means able. So that's the first two legs. You have you might have a lot of knowledge or little knowledge, but you have some knowledge and you have ability, either a lot of ability or very little. Then let's go to the third the third leg, which is experience. Experience is very helpful. Because if you don't experience playing real music, how are you going to know what to do with all that ability and all that knowledge? Whatever amount you have. If you have a tiny bit of a knowledge and a tiny bit of ability, you can play some music, but you're going to need some experience to make good music. You might be a musician who's been playing gigs for 10 years. I, I've got a lot of friends that right in that category. You know, you might have, uh, you might have been in a working band playing corporate barbecues and wedding rehearsal dinners, and your case may be all beat up and covered with stickers and duct tape. And that demonstrates you've got a lot of experience. Well, so what? You still might not be any good. I'm not going to mention any names here, but I know some pretty busy working bands that, to me, just aren't all that good. You've probably seen some of those around. They got a lot of experience, but maybe they're lacking in ability or knowledge. And by ability, let me back up to ability. I do not mean inborn ability. I mean learned ability. I'm not talking about well, you know, he just wasn't a born musician. I'm talking about things you've trained yourself to be able to physically do. That's what I mean by ability. So you could have a whole lot of experience and no knowledge and a lot of ability. And, you know, you're going to be one type of musician. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But what I'm saying is, with regards to experience, experience is what? synthesizes your knowledge and your ability into something musical. And it also carries over into experience in, um, you know, how you relate to an audience. Even if the audience is just like some guy walking by on the street and you're playing your guitar on the street corner for tips, busking. You know, if you scowl at people, and they walk right on by, you'll gain the experience that, well, that face doesn't work. And then the next person walking by, while you're playing your amazing thing, you smile at them, and they stop, and they listen for a minute. And you play some more, and you look at them, and you smile, and they throw a dollar in your case. Now you have the experience that, hey, maybe I should try smiling. So this building up of experience and learning from it is what let, allows you to put that knowledge and learned ability or inborn abilities, either one, to work. So there's that three-legged thing. Oh, on experience, um, sometimes experience is what tells you maybe what you should do. 
with that knowledge and ability. Experience can teach you things like how many times you should play that corny, bluesy, pedal steel lick on your banjo within one song. Or it will tell you whether you should play that lick at all. It'll teach you things like, you got this really bluesy lick you, you've worked out, and it sounds good on certain types of songs, but it doesn't sound good on others. You know, it sounds good when you play Hot Burrito Breakdown, but it doesn't sound so good on Amazing Grace. And if you have enough experience, you've tested it in, in both songs, you go, well, it sounds good here, and it seems kind of out of place there. That is experience. You can't get that watching one of my videos or reading a book. You know, the book will give you knowledge. The video will, if you do what I show you there, will help you gain ability. But experience, you're going to have to get out there and get experience on your own. So, these are the three legs of, the, of a very stable table. And we'll just leave aside those additional legs. Knowledge, ability, experience. Every musician, no matter how good or bad, wherever they are on the scale, has those three attributes. And if you go to the show notes page, just go to grasstalkradio.com, slide down to this episode, and I'll ha I've got a, a graphic there that I'm going to show, showing the possible ratios between your knowledge, ability, and experience. A very well-rounded, balanced musician might have 33 and a third percent knowledge, ability, and experience, you know. But some people have a little more knowledge and a little less experience. And some people have a little more ability and a little less knowledge and so on. So it's sort of a, it's a ratio of these three things that determine sort of what are you as a total musician. You know, you could be very strong in terms of ability, but perhaps, you know, you need to beef up your knowledge so you can put more meaningful things into your music. Uh, you might have pretty good ability and, you know, decent knowledge about things, but you need to get out there in the trenches. Maybe you need to learn how to deal with sound men, how to carry on a conversation with a fan while you're trying to repair the PA at the same time. Uh, you know, learn how to smile and say thank you to people who listen to you. Maybe even turn around and face the audience. And I, I don't mean that to any particular people. Uh, sometimes you get in a situation in a, in a very small room where you just got to make do. We, this little jam session we I was talking about at Pat's place. It's not really a jam session. It's Pat's little bluegrass show. But in order to hear each other in that noisy place, we sit in a circle. But we sit in a circle in the corner, crammed into a tiny little corner. And, you know, last night, two of the guys, you know, had their backs to the audience. So we're not really on a stage facing the audience and performing. So Pat and John, I'm not talking about you here. But if we were going to do a real show, we would all at least turn around and face the audience. That's the kind of experiences that, you know, you, you can only get out there in the trenches. Uh, 
You can sit around in your lonely garret studying and practicing all you want, but, you know, yeah, bluegrass music is about performance. I mean, records, think about it. Which is more fun? And I, let's say a third time out album. I love third time out and I love to listen to their records, but I also love to see them perform. Bluegrass is about performance and recordings are just, you know, snapshots in time of performance. And music is communication after all. And uh, if you're just sitting around at home, uh, who are you communicating with? You know, in your little um, lonely garret, your your man cave, your your practice woodshed. You know, it is good to have that place because you don't want to show up at a jam session and be practicing. You got to have a place to do that too, where you don't drive everybody else crazy. So let's let's go back and talk about the three legs, knowledge, ability, and experience. I think it's a wise thing to periodically rate yourself on those three categories. Maybe make a scale from one to 10 for each item and self-evaluate. Maybe do this once a year. Let's say you rate your knowledge as a 10 and your ability an eight and your experience a one. Well, that is quite a different musician than somebody who has knowledge seven, ability seven, and experience seven. Very different. If you have very low experience, you're a different person than somebody with a lot of experience. If I were putting together a band, I would probably look for people like that second bunch. I would take a little less knowledge and a little less ability and more experience than I would say what I call a two five ten, which is two knowledge, five ability, and ten experience. I might take them because I know that guy with the ten rating on experience is probably gonna show up on time. And that's important if you're gonna go pay a a play, a paying gig, it's important people show up and sometimes the audience doesn't know the difference and if you don't play that well I'm not saying you should do that, but these different mixes of people, I don't, I don't want to be in a band where you got three people that have knowledge scores of 10, ability scores of two, experience scores of zero. And they sit there and argue about, you know, what's the proper chord to play there. You know, I don't want to play with nerds like that. I'm looking for more balance. And if you're a one, one, one or a five, four, six, you're, you're balanced. It's a nice balanced table. Think about that table. You don't want one short leg where the thing's tipping over. So strive for balance between those three things. And as you increase your ability, the ability leg will get a little taller. So that is the time to bring up your knowledge and your experience to balance the table again. Maybe something happens. Maybe you have a physical injury and all of a sudden your ability goes down and your table is tipping precariously to one side. That's the time maybe to figure out some workarounds or, you know, do some special practice or maybe even change instruments or 
you know, whatever in order to bring your ability back up in line with your knowledge and your experience. I really think that a lot of beginners, they're doing, they have a pretty balanced thing between knowledge and ability. It may not be very high, but it's balanced and they're just real weak on experience. Now, when you get done scoring yourself, the low numbers are the things to work on. You know, become balanced and then try to raise the entire table. Another thing you can do, and I, I suggest this only with some warning, you could, I don't think I would maybe make this public, but you could rate your teacher. You could consider the teacher and say, hmm, what is his knowledge? What is his ability? What is his experience? That doesn't mean you can't go to a teacher who has a knowledge 10, an ability 1, and an experience 10. That could still be a good teacher if you're trying to boost your knowledge and experience. Um, so, but, it, but it's an interesting thought experience to consider what are the scores of the other people. I don't suggest that you waste any time trying to really change other people unless they ask for help. You go around shoving help down other people's throats, you're not going to be very well liked, you know. But if somebody asks for help, help them. You know, don't. You get the idea. So just think about that little milking stool with three legs. And, you know, it works better if all three legs are about the same length. So think about, look around your, the people you're jamming with. What, what, how do they rate? A better way might be to say, hey, I found this really cool podcast about rating yourself on knowledge, ability, and experience, and you might want to check it out. That might be a better way to approach somebody who you think, you know, is is weak in one of those areas. Because a band that all of the members, if you, let, let's say you had a band with five people in it, and let's say everybody's above a four in all the categories, but you got some people strong on knowledge and you got some people strong on ability and you got some people strong on experience, but they're all up there at a kind of a competent level. That's a typical band. You know, that guy with a lot of experience, he will guide the other players and like, Hey dudes, uh, no short pants at this gig. Okay. It's a wedding reception, no flip flops, you know, wear a button up shirt. His experience is helping the other people. Or you might have, in terms of knowledge, back when I joined Cedar Hill, our fiddle player was a choral director, and he had a lot of musical knowledge about singing, and he helped us a whole lot. So having these standouts in some of these areas can help the overall group. So add up the, the score for the band. I don't know. Again, I don't know if I would do this publicly, but you might write down the names of all the people and just rate them for knowledge, ability, experience for all of them, and then total it up. Because the total is the end result that you'll get when you play together and when you gig together. You know, if I was um, recording an album and I needed some side men to come in and just play tracks on my album, I could very well pick a Knowledge 3, kind of low, um, Ability 9. Because I want, I want to nail them tracks on the first try, and I want him to be able to play the things that I'm asking him to play without a whole lot of trouble. And experience, that could be pretty low, I, you know. Because what I'm interested in is the ability. 
So I might choose somebody with high abilities and kind of low on the other ones. If I'm fishing around for students, I'm looking for knowledge one, ability one, experience one. You know, the lower you are, the more benefit you can get from beginning lessons. And for my, let's say my book, Mandolin Masterclass, I'm looking for that mandolin player who has a knowledge, maybe a three, got some knowledge, but could use some more ability, three, four, five, you know, has the ability to play some things, but needs some knowledge experience, maybe like a three. So anyway, think about how you rate yourself on this K A E scale, knowledge, ability, experience, rate yourself and privately rate others. And just think about this and strive for balance. So that's enough about the three-legged stool. And if anybody wants to uh, go into business with me making three-wheeled grocery carts and just get in touch with me. And thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. I hope these ideas are being helpful, and I hope you enjoy the interview shows when I do those as well. And as always, I appreciate um, hearing from you with emails. You can go to bradleylaird.com. Hit that contact button at the top and you'll find my email link and, you know, give me suggestions for things you want to hear me talk about. And I appreciate any kind of uh, sharing of links. You know, if you hear a show and you like it, go on Facebook and post something about it. Even if you think your quote unquote friends on Facebook aren't into bluegrass, hey, they might listen to it and they might suddenly want to get into bluegrass. So anyway, just thanks for everything that you are doing to help me spread the word about the podcast and about my website. And as always, if you if you use iTunes, go over to iTunes and rate and review the show. I do appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And so work on building a very stable table with three legs. And I'll talk to you in the next episode. <laughs>